Hello and welcome to the Writer's Mindset with me, Christina Adams. And me, Ellie Betts. Each week we're here to help you persevere through the tough times, be your most productive self and get that work in progress published. Wherever you are in your publishing journey, we've got your back. Today we're talking with Matty Dalrymple about writing short stories. Shout out to our podcast patrons for all of your support. And welcome to our newest patrons, V and Kate. As a patron, you'll get early access to episodes, the chance to submit questions for our guests, and access to our bonus series, Healthy Habits. Healthy Habits isn't your typical productivity advice. We're not here to tell you to get up at 4am and go for a three-hour run. Hell no. We're exploring the latest research to find small changes you can make in your life to be happier, healthier, and more productive in your writing life and beyond. To start developing healthier habits today, come join our community at patreon.com forward slash writers mindset. This week, we are talking to Matty Dowrenpol all about writing and publishing short stories. Welcome back, Matty. I'm happy to be here. Lovely to see you. So for our lovely listeners, can you just give them a quick refresher on who you are and what you do, please? Sure. I am the author of the Anne Kinnear suspense novels and suspense shorts and the Lizzie Ballard thrillers. And I also podcast, speak, write, and consult on independent publishing as the indie author. And I'm the author of Taking the Short Tack, Creating Income and Connecting with Readers Using Short Fiction, which I wrote with Mark Leslie Lefebvre. Excellent. And so specifically short stories that we're talking about today then. Just for reference, how would you define a short story? Well, actually, for the book, we uh, didn't make up our own definition. We went to the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America definition, which is that anything under 40,000 words is considered short fiction. And that goes from, you know, nanofiction of a couple of words to novellas and then all the, the gradations in between. For myself, the short stories I write are generally about 5,000 words, but there is a lot of a lot of flexibility in the definition. How did you get into writing them? Well, when I was uh, writing the Anne Kinnear suspense novels, I started out uh, with two novels, The um, Sense of Death is the first one, and then The Sense of Reckoning. And then I had an idea for another story that didn't really fit into the Anne Kinnear world. So all my books are about what happens when an extraordinary ability transforms an ordinary life. And Anne Kinnear's extraordinary ability is that she can communicate with dead people. She has a business that she and her brother have developed around that. And then I had an idea for a different extraordinary ability that uh, didn't really fit into Anne's world. So I started uh, what I thought might be a standalone book, and that was the first Lizzie Ballard thriller, Rock, Paper, Scissors. And then it became clear that that was not going to be a standalone. It was going to be a trilogy. And so I was trying to find a way to keep the Anne Kinnear fans engaged while I was working on the Lizzie Ballard thrillers. And that's when I started writing uh, suspense shorts based on Anne and the characters from those books. I see you're inspired. I I think you mentioned before your characters tell you what you're writing, right? Yeah, yeah. I do have, uh, you know, people pop up and then um, you kind of have to pay attention to them. So they, before they go away. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm familiar. <laughs> yeah, one of my most popular characters is one that wasn't in the first draft of the first book. And now reviewers frequently comment on him in the um, reviews. Uh, well, well, I've got to keep including him now. And he keeps yeah. forcing his way into like a lot of scenes he doesn't need to be in just for the comedy value. And I think that's why people <laughs> like him because he's the comic relief. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
when you see other people writing short stories then what are some mistakes you see people writing maybe with newbie writers not newbie writers maybe with people who haven't written that much short fiction or those who don't have much experience with it well as someone who has actually judged a short fiction contest i was one of the judges for last year's writer's digest uh, short fiction contest and what i looked for was all the same characteristics that I would look for in a longer work, except just in a condensed format. So I think sometimes people write what's basically a vignette, you know, a, a beautifully crafted description of a lovely day at the beach or something like that. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you shouldn't sort of try to pass it off as a short story. It's it's a vignette. It's kind of a whole separate thing. And so I think the mistake is thinking that you can apply different rules of what makes a good story if it's short, you really can't, you know, the rules have to stay the same. It's just that the scope changes when it's a short story. For any of our listeners who haven't heard of a vignette, can you just quickly explain what they are, please? Well, the way I'm thinking of it is just the description with no plot arc, <laughs> you know, no really character development, but it's presenting a scene. I mean, when I, the ones I've read are usually, you know, a depiction of uh, probably a scene that was really meaningful to the writer you know, how it feels to be at the beach in the middle of the summer, how it feels to be at the beach in off season, whatever it is, but it's, it doesn't really carry a story or an arc. It's just a moment in time. Yeah. We used to do those at uni as kind of like writing prompts at the start of a session. And I tell you what, I found them really hard because my brain is not wired to focus on the description. <laughs> yeah, they can be great fun. And I think that using them as a writing prompt is a really good idea. Yeah, and oftentimes you can use some of that yeah. in what's actually a story, but it's not, in my opinion, a story itself. Yeah, we usually had like postcards or objects or something that the lecturer had collected. And that would then be the prompt. And I always remember we had some really beautiful postcards and the prompt was to write about it and not include a character. And nearly everyone in a class of about 30 ended up personifying the scenery because they couldn't include an actual character. Yeah, it sounds to me like a bunch of people who were yearning to write a short story and who are being restricted, probably on purpose, to writing a vignette. In a yeah. nutshell, <laughs> when it comes to your actual writing process, is it different when you're planning a short story compared to when you're planning a longer piece? Well, I was thinking about this as I was uh, thinking through our conversation for today. And I realized that answers that I've given to this uh, question in past interviews, my answer is a little bit different now. Uh, I wasn't lying then. I really believed it when I said it. But what I used to say is that my my novels are more about a, an overarching theme. Like, let's say the dynamics in a dysfunctional family when it comes to a contested inheritance. Whereas my impetus for writing the short stories was more triggered by a particular event. So as an example, I wrote a short story called Sea of Troubles when my husband and I were on a cruise. We uh, cruised around Hawaii in 2019, and then we cruised from Hawaii to Vancouver. And um, I loved the time on the ocean, almost more than I loved the time in Hawaii, as beautiful as Hawaii is. But being a thriller and mystery writer, I started obsessing about what happens if somebody jumps off the ship. And um, so I wanted to write a short story about that. But it was clear that it wasn't, it was just somebody jumping off a ship and and what happens to a woman who can talk to dead people when that happens. So I knew right away in that case that I couldn't hang a whole story. I couldn't hang an 85,000 word novel off that concept. But I think that I was sort of answering that question uh, with 2020 hindsight, recognizing what I did eventually, but not necessarily what the initial impetus was. And a lot of the 
ideas I have for my stories, regardless of how long they are, is just a particular moment in time or concept or scene or character or something like that. And then as I start to work on it, I sense whether it's enough to hold a story or hold uh, the length of the story it is uh, it's prepared to hold. And so as an example, my uh, fifth Ankenir suspense novel, A Serpent's Tooth, is about a dysfunctional family who's trying to deal with a confusing inheritance situation for the family business. And um, there's a, a cast of characters, four or five characters who all have a stake in the outcome of this. And it's, you know, a huge deal because it's an entire family business. It's a, a long running winery. And that clearly is a novel, like you can make a novel out of that. But if my idea was that I just wanted to examine the idea of how people deal with the um, disagreements over an inheritance, but I went into it wanting to write a short story, then I would have just scaled everything back. I would have made it two characters instead of four or five characters. I would have made it a specific smaller thing, like the family heirloom watch or something like that, not an entire family business. And I think I could have done all the same things, but I would just be doing it on a much smaller scale. And so I think that's one thing. What What's the complexity of the story you want to tell and how many words is it going to take to tell it? And then I think the other way that people approach it sometimes is you just start writing and you don't know what it's going to be. And if you're writing away and you step back and you have 2,500 words and you feel like you've told about, you've captured about half the story you eventually want to tell, then it suggests it's a short story. If you feel like you've captured, you know, a 10th or a 100th of the story you want to tell, then it, then it's not. So that's, I think there are many different ways of planning what you're writing or just go into it and seeing where it takes you. Yeah, I use a short story. My um, fantasy reader magnet is kind of an experiment to try outlining for a little bit. And I found that once I'd um, outlined it, I think it was about seven chapters long. I can't remember now. And it was a really interesting experiment in changing my writing process without feeling completely intimidated by the fact that I was overhauling 60, 70, 80,000 words. But it actually was really useful because it made me realize how much more organized I could make my writing process and how much calmer that made me feel. <laughs> Yeah. Well, if you'd ever like to have me back, I would love to talk about a topic that I just wrote about for Writer's Digest in the August, September 2022 issue, which is creating your story frame. Ooh. And I think exactly what you're implying that um, you start out with a frame. I love nautical metaphors for the writing craft and the publishing voyage. <laughs> so I wrote it all based on the idea of you you build a frame for a boat before you start polishing the bright work. The bright work in this case being um, the description and the the characters and the dialogue and all those kinds of things. But yeah, I love to come back and talk about that sometime, but that would take us down a whole different path. It's one of our favorite topics, isn't it, Ellie? So definitely have you oh, back yeah. for that. Cool. Definitely. I like that what you said there about writing short stories though, in terms of a full novel, but scaled back because we spend so long focusing on writing a novel and selling a novel and the, the big themes and how to craft it. The idea that a short story can be as simple as just shrinking that down a little bit is is a really a really good way to enter it, I think it's it simplifies it it makes it seem less foreign I think yeah and less intimidating I think as well yeah 
And I think it can be a good test case too, because if I was had this idea rattling around in my brain about how families deal with difficult inheritance situations, but I hadn't thought it through, I didn't really see the characters, I didn't know where I wanted to set it, it would be fun to write a story about the two people arguing about the family watch and then step back from that and say, what are all the other things that if I had 80,000 extra words, I'd want to explore? So it's kind of like a little uh, test case for you as an author to see if it's something that will withstand a more extensive treatment. And you can work out from that point what what elements you would need to add in to make it substantial enough to be a full novel, right. looking at it from both angles. Right. I like that. One question that kept popped into my mind when Christina and I were talking about interviewing you about this was whether or not there is actually a market for short stories. And it may just be that I'm not seeing a market for short stories because I haven't looked into it, if I'm entirely honest. Because we spend, like I said, so long thinking about novels and how to get them out there and how to write them and sell them and stuff. So is there actually a market out there for it? You know, are, are we able to make money off short stories or should we just be doing them for, for pleasure, I suppose? Yeah, well, I'm all about things that I can do for pleasure and make money at. So the story behind Taking the Short Tack, which is about creating income and connecting with readers using short fiction, which is the book I wrote with Mark Leslie Lefebvre. I won't tell the whole backstory, but... Mark, who has tons of experience in the traditional short fiction market, was talking about it on his podcasts, The Stark Reflections on Writing and Publishing. And in subsequent conversations, we ended up co-authoring this book. And so uh, Mark was bringing the traditional publishing perspective to it. And I was bringing more of an indie mindset, but I wanted to experiment with, I wanted to try everything that we said in the book, even if it was something that Mark was writing from his perspective and his experience. And so I wanted to make a foray into the short fiction market, I mean, into the traditional market. And so I wrote a new short story because you really, in most cases, can't submit a reprint uh, successfully into the traditional publishing market. And I uh, followed some advice that I had read in uh, Douglas Smith's Playing the Short Game, which is a great book, especially if you're pursuing the traditional short fiction market, and decided I'd start with the top. His advice is don't say, oh, this is my first story, so I'm just going to go to all the rinky-dink ones. Because if you sell it to a rinky-dink one, you can't then resell it to <laughs> to one of the big names. Might as well start at the top of your list, right? So I picked the um, couple of places that I wanted to send it. I went through the whole submission process, you know, just like querying an agent or an editor or a publishing house and um, crickets. And very quickly, within like a month or two, I realized that th this was just not for me, that I didn't have the patience uh, or the time or the inclination to pursue traditional um, placement. And of course, there are many advantages to that you know, bragging rights, among other things. Another benefit that Mark is a big proponent of is the fact that you get editing for free. And so, you know, things that as an indie author, you'd pay for yourself, you don't have to if you're submitting to the traditional market. But I just decided that patience-wise, I didn't have the patience for it. Time-wise, I didn't want to have a piece of my content just sitting out there for months or maybe years waiting to have somebody respond to it. The fact that a high-quality story is necessary but not sufficient to getting <laughs> a traditional uh, placement, you know, those outlets are getting thousands and thousands and thousands of, uh, of stories and thousands and thousands of those are really good. And they only have a couple of dozen slots to put them in. And so, you know, the chances are tiny. And so I decided to go the 
indie route. And so with my own short stories, I published them as standalone eBooks for 99 cents on all the retail platforms. And I have made, I think the last time I checked, it was over $400 from uh, my short stories, which I feel confident is already more than I would make if I had gotten a placement in a traditional platform, you know, not being a huge name like Stephen King or Neil Gaiman or somebody like that. And also, I'm going to be making that money forever. So, you know, 35 cents at a time or whatever it is, is going to be coming in. Uh, not It's not a tsunami, but it's going to be another little stream of income um, that I'm going to be able to look forward to forever. So I think that there is a market for it, especially with people being so pressed for time and wanting to consume uh, content in smaller chunks. I'm going to be having my audiobook narrator do audio versions of them and sell them on my uh, own site for, you know, maybe $1.99, $2.99, something like that. So that would be another stream of income. So yeah, the market is definitely out there. If people want to look into the traditional market, then Mark LaFave's chapters of Taking the Short Tack and Doug Smith's Playing the Short Game are both really good resources, but it just wasn't for me. No, I don't blame you. You're sort of making more money. There's no real downside to it, I suppose, in a way. But that yeah. um, money that you're making, then, are you just publishing the ebooks online? You're not selling them anywhere else? Right. Yeah. I uh, My plan is, so I think I now have seven, I have seven and can your suspense shorts on the retail platforms. I have one that I use as a reader magnet. So if people sign up for my email newsletter, they get a free and can your suspense short. And then next time I write one, I'll put that one up for sale on the platforms and, you know, just keep cycling them in. And when I have 12, I'm going to put them together as a collection of a year of Kinnear, and I'm going to have one set in each month of the year. And um, then I would probably also have a print version. I could probably have a print version, like a print pamphlet <laughs> of the short stories individually, but I just think that would be sort of maximum work for, I don't know if people really are clamoring for that. So I haven't bothered to do that, but I will have it in ebook and audio and eventually in print when it's a collection. And if you don't mind me asking, that £200 or dollars or whatever it was you said, is that over a whole year or is that longer? Or? That's longer. So I must have put the first story out in 2015 or thereabouts. Mm -hmm. So it's it has been since, you know, in that entire time, it's been about 400 and $450 or something like that last time I checked. But like um, you said, that, that's going to come in forever, the short stories. Right. Right. Take less time to write and sort yep. of almost passive income after that point, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah. And let's not forget that if you charge 99p, you generally only get about 35% royalty. Yep. Yeah. So actually, that adds up quite significantly when you think about how many people have now got those books in their hands. That's a lot of readers who maybe found yeah. you through short stories and are now reading the longer work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting to be able to, I, it's both a blessing and a curse that I'm not having big, like a big. Um, as I said before, tsunami of, of orders, but I can see the orders come in and oftentimes they'll come in in chunks. Like people don't buy one. If I get a sale for one short story, I generally sell them all. And so my suspicion is that someone who's read through all the Ann Kinner suspense novels, they're waiting for the next novel and they're using this to tide them over and they're just buying the whole set and, and reading all seven of them or however many are out at the time. So yeah, and really the only promotion I do is that most of them are already tied to a month. So I do a little bit of promotion for the one that is set in the month that we're in, you know, put put up some posts on Facebook, but I don't really, I generally don't pay for those. They're just, you know, to my followers. So what would you say is the best way to kind of 
package a short story to actually sell it? Is it individually, like you've been doing so far as a collection, maybe as an anthology with other authors? Yeah, I think all of those, really. Um, I would recommend that people put them out individually for a small amount, 99 cents, because I think you can get good market research from it. Interestingly, I had an idea, and this hasn't panned out yet, but I still think it's a good idea. And that is that if you're asking for a testimonial or a blurb from a big name author, you can use a short story to make that request easier for them. So in my case, there is a uh, author who I always love to associate my Ancanir books with, and uh, she's a very big name author. And I had sent her a, a short story and I said, you know, I love your books. I think that people who love your books would love my books. And I'm wondering if you would be willing to read the uh, the short story and comment on the general style and characters and things like that in a way, and I was very upfront about this, in a way that I could use that blurb to advertise my other works. And she very graciously responded. And her response was, she did like the style, she did like the characters, but she felt as if there wasn't enough of a, of a punch at the end, enough of a twist, for example. And I realized that I had written that story very specifically for people who were already familiar with the characters and I was giving them a little more taste of it, whereas she was completely new to it. And I thought that's interesting because it's sort of two different audiences. And I think that a fan of my books who are already familiar with characters would be perfectly happy with it. Whereas if someone was reading it net new, it might be confusing for them. So having the short, the short pieces is great because you can kind of get that read from reviews and uh, tweak accordingly, like don't wait until you have 12 before you put them out there. Um, but a collection is great because there are people who are going to want, you know, a little beefier content, you know, they're going to want to buy a print book, for example. And anthologies is great too, because obviously you get the benefits of cross promotion. And um, this isn't an anthology, but I recently did uh, a talk with my friend Jane Gorman, who's the author of the Adam Kaminsky um, Police Procedural Mysteries. And Adam Kaminsky's is based in Philadelphia. I live outside Philadelphia. The Ann Kinnear stories take place in the Philadelphia area. And coincidentally, in the first book, I mentioned Anne's old boyfriend, Dan Kaminsky. And I kept, every time I talked to Jane, I would say, I'm pretty sure that my Dan Kaminsky is Adam, you're Adam Kaminsky's cousin. And I'm sure we can find a way to tie these together. And so I finally talked her into it. And so we're writing a short story that is uh, Anne Kinnear, the spirit sensor, sort of being foisted on Adam Kaminsky, the Philadelphia detective, to try to solve a case that he's he's gotten stuck on. And so when that's done, we'll be putting that out to our both our fan bases and hopefully we'll win uh, readers back and forth, because I do think that uh, Jane's style and her setting and the topic and so on um, is very compatible. I think my readers would enjoy her work and hers would enjoy mine. If uh, I've also done an anthology with a writer's group um, to benefit a local library. And so that's nice because you get goodwill as well as, um, you know, just the, the fun of seeing your work in print next to other people whose works you admire. So yeah, I think all of those can be really good ways of, of using your short fiction. I love that you guys are crossing over your two worlds. That's <laughs> so much fun. It is really fun. It's it's yeah. really fun. So in terms of promoting the two different things, how does promoting a short story differ from promoting a novel then? Well, I generally promote them at the end of my novels. So when somebody gets to the end of my novels, the shorts are included in the list of, um, I'm 90% sure that's true. I'm saying this, I'm thinking, have I put my short, 
That's a good question. I have to check. But if I haven't yet, I'm going to have it at the end. Matty, have you come on our podcast and you're just lying to all our listeners right now? (laughs) It's unacceptable. I was saying that because it seems so obvious. And then I thought, it does. In a I moment, I'm going to open one of my books and go, have I done that? That, that reminds <laughs> because... me of something one of my readers pointed out to me recently. And she, she read an arc of my um, last book, The Witch's Sacrifice. And she was like, did you know that you haven't mentioned Hollywood's drama in your list of um, <laughs> works? And I went through. There's about six books missing the third Hollywood gossip book. <laughs> in the also bite and i have the same also bite in the front and the back and i'd completely forgotten it and i never would have noticed if she hadn't told me i just confirmed and i'm holding it up to prove that i'm not lying i do have (laughs) well i do have the short stories in the back you're gonna be lying to us matty you're definitely not coming back (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's one way i promote it that i actually do have them listed at the end of my books um i am promoting as i mentioned in the in the month where the story takes place. I don't really do that much promotion other than that. Yeah. It's those are my primary ways of promoting at the moment. I think that's really good though, because it sounds for authors who dislike promoting and marketing and stuff, it's a lot less effort, but you're getting those sales anyway from people well, who are I, already invested. Yes, from people who are already invested, exactly. And uh, I think that using one of them as a reader magnet is good because you you make people, uh, you associate your name with short fiction right away. And so they may be looking for that. I don't think people should expect to be able to put some short fiction out there and have it take off if they're if they're not doing anything and they don't have a platform and they don't have other works that they can use to push people to it. So then my answer would, would be much different. Not quite sure how you would go about that, but I think it's the more, the larger a pool of content you have the larger your library then the more successfully you'll be able to point people to short fiction how have you seen the short fiction market change since your mark published taking the short tack um was when was it published again it was 20 2020 have you noticed any changes since then I can't say in the last two years, I've seen a lot of changes. And again, I'm not tracking the traditional market. I think in general, the traditional market is interesting because I got into writing because my dad was a short story writer and he published some stories in Collier's and Cosmopolitan, some big name um, magazines back in the fifties. And interestingly, he decided that he would then move on to novels. He never got any traction with novels at the time. He did not have indie publishing as an option to him. I think he was just a short story guy. And So many of those magazines that focus on publishing short fiction, like Collier's and Cosmopolitan, you know, many of those have gone away. The benefit is that there are others that have been able to spin up online and not take on the, you know, the production and distribution costs that a physical magazine would have. So there are more of those, but they also come and go more frequently. So you have to be more careful about uh, if you're entrusting your work to them. But that's obviously a much longer time frame than um than just the last couple of years and in a slightly shorter but uh, time frame but still longer than two years i just think that people's lives are so busy that anything you can offer them that gives them a complete experience and i think that's another good way to think of you know when i was talking before about the story versus a vignette you want to give them a complete experience where they end the story and they say oh you know that was a satisfying experience you know not everybody has time to sit down and read a whole novel and so i think 
that combination just makes short fiction uh, more and more appealing to people as their lives get busier and busier. I have to admit, when I was going through my phase of having a bath like three times a week, I don't at the minute because it's summer and we're in a drought, but I used to try and yeah, read Christina a whole- Yeah, smells really bad at the minute. <laughs> Thank complete... heavens we're on Zoom and not in person. <laughs> I know. You wouldn't want to do an in-person interview. Imagine what it's like for <laughs> Millie as a dog. I know. she. Oh, poor Millie. No wonder <laughs> she's been misbehaving. <laughs> I was attempting to say before Ellie rudely interrupted me and insulted me. I used to like, I do spend quite a lot of time in the bath, like two hours. So I used to um, get into series that I could read one book while I was in the bath or finish it in an evening. Um, and I never really read shorts before that because I studied them when I did my BA in creative writing and we didn't really look at longer work. So three years nonstop of studying short stories kind of meant I overdosed on them a little bit. And it's only the last couple of years I've really started to get back into them, you know, 10 years later, because it was just, I, I guess a lot of us were there to study novel writing rather than fiction, rather than short fiction. And we weren't really given the chance to explore the differences between the two or look at poetry or look at script writing. And they have changed the course since I studied it. You know, like I say, we are talking 10, 15 years ago. But I found it very hard then to get back into working on short fiction because it just brought back all those memories of this kind of pressure. Yeah, and I think that the expectation is a little bit different depending on how you're planning on using it. So if you're using it as a reader magnet, I don't think that a teaser kind of thing is that bad because I think people understand you're giving them a flavor for your larger world. Um, so the rule is a little different than if you're, um, you know, submitting it to Alfred Hitchcock magazine or whatever. And then similarly, I think that if you're writing a story about a very complexly and fully built out world in a short form and you're marketing it to the people who already know that world, then that's fine because they don't need all the backstory. They know the backstory. They just want to hear a little story about maybe a secondary character that they've really fallen in love with, like you had mentioned before. So just then recognize that you need to market and position it appropriately. Yeah. A couple of our recent interviewees, I believe Helen Scheurer and GM White, both used short stories um, to kind of tide readers over in between books. So they have quite long gaps in between publishing this book in the series and that book in the series. So to give them readers something to latch onto so that they kind of don't forget about them and it's keeping the author flexing their writing muscles as well. They'll yep. set something in that world about the same characters without having the kind of pressure, I guess, of writing a full-length novel, especially if you're writing something like epic fantasy, which is a lot more work. Yeah. What are some of the misconceptions you see people having about short fiction then? Do people come at you with those kind of misconceptions ever? From a writer point of view or a reader point of view? Uh, both. Well, I don't know that there's anything other that we haven't already hit on. The idea that if a writer is writing a vignette, but they're thinking it's a short story, I would take issue to that. The idea, which isn't really a misconception, it's just a, a matter of expectations about, are you writing for someone who already knows your world? Are you writing for a net new reader? Those are the things that kind of spring to mind right off the bat. I guess I was kind of wondering, you know, do people assume short stories are easier? Do people assume that short stories, you know, aren't as interesting characters? Do people think short stories can't be fantasy? Do you know what I mean? Just things like that that people may be thinking. I didn't know if you'd come across anything like that. Well, I think that one thing I would caution against is 
people thinking that because a short story is shorter, it can be less professional. You need to ensure that you're giving readers the same experience, the same quality of experience, the same high quality of experience with your short fiction as you are with your longer fiction. And higher quality doesn't necessarily tie to length. But the challenge in that is that you're only making 35 cents every time you sell one of these things. So you have to sort of scale your investment appropriately. And so this is kind of, I, I'm going to use this as a lead into what I was saying earlier about ways of making it affordable that with short fiction, I think you can save on, I, I always like figure out how to craft this message so that I'm not sending a message that I don't intend, but I couldn't afford to pay my editor, the editor, the editor who edits my novels, I couldn't afford to pay him even a reduced fee every time I had a short story to send out. So I rely much more on my beta readers who are readers in my genre. And asking them to read 5,000 words is much easier than asking them to read 85,000 words. And so I'm really relying on my beta readers who are fellow authors and very knowledgeable in the genre whose work I admire to give me the editorial input that I would otherwise get from my editor. If you're in a writer's group, then that's certainly another place where you can look for that. You can always trade off you know, ask people to read for you and return that favor when they have a story that they need to have looked at. So in the two areas where I always recommend people pay for things when I'm talking about novels are editing and cover design. So editing, I think you can find free ways of getting that done if you have developed a knowledgeable pool of beta readers that you can tap into. And then for the covers, what I did is that I have a, a kind of look for all my novels. So for anyone who's watching on the video, this is The Sense of Death. It's uh, it's sort of a plain cover that always has like one central image. In this case, it's a brass hand door knocker. You know, the font, I, the, my uh, author name is in a certain font. The subtitle is in a certain font. The title is in a certain font. And then what I did for the shorts is I asked my cover designer to make me a template of that. He told me all the fonts he was using and the sizes and things like that. I actually made uh, made the template myself in Canva. And then all I need to do when I publish a short is I... I go to the template, I change the title, and I find um, an image on a royalty-free site like Unsplash. I always have great luck with Unsplash. I do some minor photo editing, like sometimes I'll darken an image to make it look a little more suspenseful and mysterious. And then I use that as my cover for the eBooks. And um, in, in thumbnail size, you cannot tell the difference. Like if you were to print out a cover of one of my shorts and the cover of one of my novels, you would probably see, you know, there's there's like subtle shading and things like that that's good, that the professional cover designer did that I'm not doing on mine. But in thumbnail uh, size, you really can't tell the difference. And it looks very uh, brand right. You know, they look very consistent. And so um, I think, it, you know, to loop back to your question, a misconception could be, it's just a short story. I'll just slap anything on there. And that's not true. But then I think there also might be a misconception that, well, I'm not going to do a short story because it's going to cost me hundreds of dollars to make it look professional. And I don't think that's the case either. Speaking of like the marketing of it and like the cover design and stuff, something I've heard before, and I wish I could remember where I'd heard it, um, is that readers don't like it when you label something a short story. They prefer it if you call it like a prequel or some other euphemism that means the same thing <laughs> have you experienced that what's your view on calling it a short story a prequel or this or that whatever you want to call it well that's interesting i 
don't have any data about this. And I think of prequel as being a novel length thing. Like if I'm if I'm scanning books on a retail site or on the shelves of a bookstore and I see prequel, I assume it's going to be a novel length work. I actually am super careful to put short on everywhere I can. It's in the subtitle of the books. It's in the description because I don't want, and it's actually a series unto itself. So the Anne Kinnear Suspense short series on Amazon, for example, is different than the Anne Kinnear Suspense novel series. And I do that because I never want someone to buy it thinking that it's a low-priced novel and be disappointed when they get 5,000 words into it and it ends. So I actually put short all over it. And I think that it's better to err on the side of making sure people understand what they're getting than like if people are really put off by the phrase short story, then you're probably not going to win them over anyway. That's true. That's just kind of like my gut reaction, not based on any research I've done on it. I I really wish I could remember where I heard that. And I have absolutely no idea. But if I find it again, I will let you know, because like from what I can remember, this person or book or whatever that said it had no basis for it either. (laughs) It was kind of an assumption that readers don't like short fiction and I don't think that's true because no, I don't if, think that's true either if they didn't then those kind of traditional magazines wouldn't have existed for centuries or a couple of centuries at least and also they wouldn't sell on retailers yeah and there are going to be people who don't like short fiction but you don't want to fool them into buying your short fiction you know that's just not your audience for your short fiction if they're put off by that phrase it is interesting though I just recently interviewed Alan Baxter on the Indie Author Podcast about novellas. And we got talking about the different terms that are used for longer forms of short fiction, more toward the 40,000 word. And we were talking about novelette. And I was like, I would never buy something called a novelette because it sounds very <laughs> 50s. And then we got into this whole thing about it kind of sounds like a piece of, fur, you know, like a kitchen utensil, you know, where did you put the novelette? I'm ready to make dinner and... um <laughs> For our lovely listeners then, for any of those who don't currently write short fiction, do you have any resources you'd recommend for them to start getting into short fiction? Anything that you know of that's a good sort of source bank for that kind of stuff? Well, um, Taking the Short Tack is very much focused on the business of short fiction, not the craft of short fiction. There are many, many books out there on the craft of short fiction, but I think that first people have to be readers of short fiction. So as with anything... If you want to be a provider of it, you have to be a consumer of it first. And so I would just advise people to go, you know, Google greatest short stories ever. And I think people will be surprised at how many stories they assume are longer are actually short. I always blank on the number of words, but Brokeback Mountain, for example, is a short story. It's, uh, I don't know, 15,000 words or something like that. It's, It's very short. I think that the first... The first thing to do is just go read a bunch of stories by people who know what they're doing. Um, something I've been having a lot of fun with lately is getting the uh, like best mystery short stories of 2020 or 2021 or however far back you want to go. Those are very illuminating, especially because oftentimes the editor makes uh, brief comments about the stories, you know, like why a certain story was chosen for the uh, anthology. So yeah, read a whole bunch and then go Google best books on how to write. <laughs> And find one or two. Like my other piece of advice is don't then read every how-to book. Find somebody who's respected and has a lot of experience in that world and um, follow their advice and see where it takes you. And then go out and buy your book on the business of short stories. Exactly. And that, that's, the next, <laughs> that's the next best step, yeah. Exactly. 
thinking of um recommendations and finding short stories to read since we've already asked you what one book changed your life we thought this time we would ask what's one short story that changed your life i would say that one of the most impactful short stories i've ever read is the ledge by lawrence sergeant hall and it is about a father and son i think there's a third character who uh, go out to an island um in order to to harvest bird eggs or something like that and while they're there and this was you know years ago so no cell phones no gps and their boat becomes untied and drifts away and there they are on the ledge and the tide is coming in and it's it's a gut-wrenching story and sort of vignette-esque in the sense that you know beautiful descriptions of uh, the island you know their appreciation of it before they realize their boat is gone. Uh, very little dialogue, but it's a it's a tremendous story. It's a tremendously crafted story. Uh, so I would say of the short stories I've read, that's one that's stuck with me for a long time. Excellent. Last but very much not least then, Matty, where can our lovely listeners go to find out more about you? Well, if they would like to find my fiction, including my suspense shorts, they can go to maddiedalrymple.com. And that's Matty with a Y, M-A-T-T-Y. And if they would like to check out my nonfiction platform, The Indie Author, they can go to theindieauthor.com. And that's Indie with a Y, I-N-D-Y. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today. That's so much fun. Thank you for having me. If you found this episode interesting or helpful, make sure you subscribe to The Writer's Mindset on YouTube or your favourite podcast platform. Or all of them, we don't mind. Everything from a like to a rating to a review to a subscribe to shouting about us on social media helps us to reach more writers so that they can overcome the mindset issues that are holding them back with their writing too. If you're on social media, come join us on Instagram at Writer's Mindset Pod. Or join our Facebook group, which you can find by searching for The Writer's Mindset. And don't forget to come join us over on Patreon for our bonus series, Healthy Habits. See you next time. Keep writing!